0: Well, you and I must not abdicate believing in the seemingly impossible to fairy tales or to the Cinderella lyrics of Rodgers and Hammerstein who tell us, impossible for a plain yellow pumpkin to become a golden carriage, impossible, and four white mice will never be four white horses. Such falderal and fiddle de of course, is impossible. But the world is full of zanies and fools who won't believe in sensible rules and won't believe what sensible people say. And because these daft and dewy-eyed dopes keep building up impossible hopes, impossible things are happening every day. Now listen, the point of that is not about pumpkins becoming carriages or mice becoming men, but instead connecting us to something beyond what our senses seem to dictate. That's what faith does. Faith takes us beyond what we can sense The Apostle Paul puts it this way, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine according to the power at work within us, possibilities beyond our senses. When Mary understandably could not comprehend that she could possibly have a baby apart from a human father, the angel Gabriel put it this way, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Jesus came along and said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so, I hope you will not take offense this morning if my goal is to turn us into zanies and fools or daft, dewy-eyed dopes who keep having seemingly impossible hopes, to call us, you and me, to live a life of faith in the possibilities of God. That's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return to First Peter chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, or the one in the pew in front of you, and turn to First Peter chapter 2. And when you've found your place, please stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse 4 this is the word of the lord as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ for it stands in scripture Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, inspiring it, giving it to us, superintending it for us so that we may hold it in our hands and hear it with our ears this morning. We pray now your blessing on us, your people, as we gather our hearts together around your word to be taught by you and your spirit, and to be transformed by your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, I think the reason that people write fairy tales and catchy little tunes to go with them is because all people are created in the image of God. And that image cannot be eliminated. That image is unquestionably marred. That image can be denied, but it cannot be eliminated. I'm sure you've read in a book or seen in a movie the moment when the character that's suffering from amnesia hears a word or sees an image that sparks just a flash of memory of who they might have once been. And so it is with the image of God in us. That image of God comes back in the stories. Now often those stories are marred. They're incomplete stories. They are stories that get things twisted up. They're often stories that pervert the ultimate truth, but still there is that flash in them. The spark of the image is there. The image of the God that created a beautiful world and universe beyond our imagining. The real story, the true story comes out in Genesis chapter 1, that the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Formless and void. Empty. Tohu, vabohu. As the Hebrew puts it. Out of nothing. God created everything that is. Impossible for us, but not for God. He can make nothing something. He can give form to what is formless. He can turn chaos into order. He can fill emptiness. We have perverted the story. We've reduced it to the wave of a wand or silly words like bibbity bobbity boo, when in fact, it required the powerful tree splitting rock-shattering voice of an infinite, eternal God who is all good. But the image of God in us won't let the hope die, and so it lives on in invented stories, in fairy tales. And those of us, you and I, who connect to the true story through faith in Christ and the recreative work of his spirit may be referred to as dewy-eyed dopes or zanies and fools for believing. So be it. That's all right with me. Because the passage before us this morning connects us, or prayerfully it reconnects us to the possibilities that exist with God. It reminds us of His powerful, beyond our senses, beyond what we can ask or imagine, work within us. And so these verses are full of contrasts. Contrasts between what seems to be and what can be. They tell us that stones live, that the rejected is chosen and precious, that the unacceptable is accepted, that the profane becomes holy That people who were not a people become the people of God. That darkness becomes light. Impossible, we say. Possible, God says. By His power, He changes. He is changing. Our lives in Christ are not intended to be static. Instead, they are empowered to be dynamic. Jesus said to His disciples, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I, too, am working. And so here is the relentless, ongoing work of God on our behalf. Is that good news? That God is at work in us? Is that good news? For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to look at two possible impossibilities. Two possible impossibilities. And the first impossible... Possibility is not contained in the verses themselves, but instead in the man who wrote these words, the Apostle Peter. There was the common, uneducated fisherman, and then there is the Peter who wrote these verses before us this morning. This beautiful letter, and I'll just tell you this so deep and profound is First Peter, the magnitude of it, sometimes completely overwhelms me as I sit in front of these verses and wonder, how do I get my arms around them? How do I exegete them? How do I preach these incredible verses? What a contrast between the uneducated Peter and the Peter who authored these verses. Others agree, because of the beauty and the elegance of the writing contained in this letter. Many people who attempt to make scripture simply an uninspired word written by uninspired men say that this letter is so cultivated in its form that Peter could not possibly have written it. They say that this letter is falsely attributed to Peter. Impossible, they say, for a plain common fisherman to write such lofty words, impossible. And they join with the contemporaries of Peter's day who looked at Peter and John and thought them to be uneducated, common men. So how could a man like Peter write these words, impossible? And yet, here they are before us. They're rich, they're deep, they're challenging, they set before us the possibility of a beautiful world like the one that God created in the beginning. And if we dewy-eyed dopes believe what's possible through the power of God, then we will have hope in grace. We will live lives not of profanity but of holiness, We will live our lives in awe of our glorious God. We will love each other authentically, genuinely, deeply and from the heart. We will put off malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And we will crave more and more the Word of God which puts such glorious possibilities before us because they are envisioned and empowered by a glorious God. This is the life our Father wants for us. And so Jesus, God in the flesh, taught Peter, not virtually, but in person for three years. God, the Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters, hovered over Peter, worked in Peter, superintended his work inspired Peter to write these words. And so the seemingly impossible happened. The thing that sensible people said and continue to say could not happen, did happen. Peter wrote these words. Now listen. If you and I will yield to the Spirit of God, surrender to Him, Relinquish control to Him, which Scripture tells us we ought to do. If you and I will be taught by Christ the living Word, what change might be possible for you? Our culture wants to trap us, trap you. Refuse us the possibility of transformation. The headlines won't let us see it our politicians make sure that a word you said once that an act you did once or purportedly did once defines you for the rest of your life of course we know they do that only for their political gain but nevertheless that doesn't matter because that tacit message is there and they get us to tacitly agree yeah that's right You did something as a drunken 18-year-old and you'll never be anything but a drunken 18-year-old. How hopeless would we all be, those of you who are over 18 here? All right, I'm over 18. But please imagine if something that we did when we were 18 or when we were drunk or when we were unconverted defined you and your character For the rest of your life. What if no allowance was ever made for you not to be that person anymore? What if no transformative work could ever be done in you? Or the possibility allowed that you despise that person who you were and seek never to be that person again? You see, this is the message that goes out to us and we too often believe it. You change impossible. Not so proclaims a Spirit-empowered, Spirit-transformed life of the Apostle Peter. Even with all the stumbles he made along the way, even after he became a great Apostle, the contrast between what was and what God made him to be proclaims possible impossibilities. And so we have hope. And know this, the transformation wrought in Peter wasn't just to make peter a better person god did trans peter for peter's own good that's just the goodness of god that's what he does for you and for me but peter's transformation was also about the good of others and ultimately the glory of god because god did the seemingly impossible in peter because he transformed transformed him and inspired him you and i now have hope in christ Because of what Peter wrote, we can know about the church, the spiritual house that God uses to bless this world with hope and love and mercy and justice, and we can know our place in it. So just say this, don't give up. Don't look at your life. Don't throw up your hands and say, impossible. It's been too long. The ruts are too deep. The scars are too hardened. Don't say that. Don't think that. Be a dewy-eyed dope about what God can do, the contrasts that He can bring to your life through His Word and through the power of His Spirit. Now, secondly, let's look at the next possible impossibility. Look with me in verse 4. Christ is called there a living stone. And in verse 5, we who believe are said to be Like living stones. Now if you're here and you've been a believer in Christ for a while, you've probably lost your ability to be startled by these words that Peter writes. We hear living stone, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that, move along, nothing to see. But if we had fresh ears to hear, we would be shocked. With God, stones come Alive. Listen, in our world, little is considered more dead than a stone. How do we describe things? Stone, cold, dead. We get ice cream from cold stone or marble slab, creameries. The point is that few things are considered more cold or more dead or used more often to describe what is dead than a stone. So impossible, we think, for a hard, cold slab to become a living stone. But what are the possibilities with God? Jesus has already hinted at the answer. That day he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And all those people were shouting their praise out loud. For all that they had seen God do. Shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus' enemies commanded him to stop all that joyous, riotous praise. Teacher, rebuke your disciples, they said. And then came Jesus' famous response. I tell you, if these were silent... The very stones would cry out. (laughs) Don't you love it? Did Jesus literally mean that the stones would cry out? Maybe he did. He certainly could have made it happen. But more likely, Jesus is indicating what they thought most impossible, speaking rocks, is possible with God. Rocks can cry out. Stones can live by the power of God. Because I'll tell you what really is impossible It's impossible for praise not to be given to Christ. It will be given. It is unstoppable. You know where all this is heading, don't you? You know where all human history is going, don't you? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So because it's unstoppable, God makes it possible. Even through stones that he makes alive. Philippians 2. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because it's unstoppable, God makes it possible. Even through stones that He makes alive. And so this is a moment of strength for Jesus. Because He knows God will give life to what is dead... So that praise will go out. Jesus knows that God will give life to what is dead so that praise will go out. And so it becomes a moment of strength for you and for me as well. It puts before us the possibilities of living strong in this world. You know, the only negative that I can think of about a stone is that it's dead. But God's taken care of that. He's made us alive in Christ. The positive thing about stones is that they are strong, they are permanent, they are difficult to destroy. And so with apologies to Lance Armstrong, I would say that this image of a living stone is a call for you and me to live strong in this world. Go get the bracelet if they still make them. We are, according to these verses, being built into a house, a strong one, not a flimsy one, one made of stone, one like Jesus talks about in the story, one that's built on a rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but the house on the rock stood what? It's so sad that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, is so often equated with weakness, with passivity. No. The fruit of the Spirit puts steel in our spines. We understand wrongly if we believe it means that we are to be weak in this world. No. Meek, yes. Weak, Never. We are strong in Christ. He is building His kingdom in us and through us. The kingdom of darkness has to be crushed. Romans 16. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. You see, Satan is the prince of confusion, chaos, disorder, darkness, and death. To subdue him, to crush him, to annihilate him is to establish the peace of God. And our enemy is crushed by the gospel. Horatius Bonar writes, The gospel was the apostolic hammer for breaking hard hearts into pieces. The gospel crushes our enemy. Secondly, strong. Live strong because strongholds must be torn down. 2 Corinthians 10. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh. But have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion. Raised against the knowledge of God. And to take every thought captive. To obey Christ. Live strong. The statistics discourage us. The church is losing ground, they say. Losing members. Shrinking. Fading away. And we adopt a defeatist attitude as if we believe that that might be the end. Never. We are built on Christ. The living stone. The rock. The church. You and me. Stones made alive by Christ will never fail to give praise to Christ. This is what God makes possible. Live strong. Because strong is the attempt in our culture, particularly those with political power, to get us to all be victims. And I'm almost finished. To be victimized, pathetic, defenseless, needy. They try to condition us to look for all the ways that we are victims so that they can be our saviors. And what pitiful saviors they make. Yes, we were victimized. We were terrorized by sin, our own sin, and the sins of others, but Jesus set us free from that. Please don't adopt the victim mentality. Live strong. Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Live strong. Philippians 4. I can do all things through Him who gives me. Live strong. In 1 Corinthians 1, we have more contrasts More possible impossibilities. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Where are you not living strong? What have you given up on as impossible for your life? What have you given up on as impossible for the church? In what areas of your life are you being guided by what your senses say is reasonable instead of having faith in the possibilities of a more than you can ask or imagine God of power? I know this kind of talk makes Presbyterians nervous, doesn't it? Presbyterians like to color inside the lines. And we like to draw the boundary lines for ourselves instead of letting God draw them for us. But here's the good news. Jesus feels no such compulsion because He knows His love for us and because He knows the power of His Spirit working in us. What is impossible for us is possible for the God who works in us. So it's okay To be a dewy-eyed dope that believes in the contrasts of God and what he can make possible through Christ, through his word, and through the mighty working of his Spirit. So live strong, believing in the possibilities of God. Let's pray. Father, help us to do just that. To believe in your possibilities. To believe in your contrasts. To look for them, to have faith in them, to hope for them for our own lives as we remain faithful to your word and yielded to your spirit. For We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.